Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I feel the presence of God in here this morning, and I just want to say good morning. It's a packed house. Just look around. Maybe give somebody a high five really quick. Say what's up. Good morning. It's a good day to be together. I said one high five. I'm just kidding. Well, uh, uh, actually, yesterday, I just got back from preteen camp, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, my first time being a counselor up there, and uh, you've, you've maybe heard of the term jet lag. Uh, I think I have something called camp lag today. Um, I'm, I'm lagging behind on some sleep, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited, and, and really, I feel like going to preteen camp as a teen minister was probably one of the most incredible investments that I could ever make uh, in what I do. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing time. I had a blast, and, and this was actually um, uh, right here. This is my cabin right here. This is my guys. Great kids. We had an amazing time out there. Uh, uh, I just hope that you never have to smell what I smelled in that room this week. But, but hearts were changed. Which is the good news. <laughs> and uh, so we, it was just an incredible time. I had a blast up there. And I'm definitely uh, thinking about doing it again next year. Thinking about it, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and uh, today, so we're uh, continuing a series that we started last week called Connect. And, and I thought Anthony did an incredible job last week. And um, uh, he talked about our, our connection to God. And I really appreciated his message. And, and today we're going to talk about our connection with our family. And I, I just was thinking about it this week. You know, many of us, uh, I hope that many of us in this room learn the ABCs. You know the ABCs, right? ABC. Like, there's 26 letters in the alphabet. Okay. Like one person raised your hand. I was just confused. Um, I think we all know the ABCs. And, um, but I wanted to introduce this idea of the ABC. And that's the need that we always, always be connecting. Always be connecting. It's a new ABC. But I feel like God in our church and just globally desires for us to be connected. It was Jesus' greatest prayer. In John chapter 17, he said, Father, I pray that they are one as we are one, that they would be connected. To always be connecting, the ABC. And so if I could have everybody reverse your posture and stand on up, really quick, as we read the Word of God together this morning. Yes, we participate in this church. I believe our posture is important to God. And uh, when you're standing there and you're expectant and you're leaning in, I believe God will do incredible things in your heart. And so in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. That is the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you say that with me? Full of grace and truth. Come on, somebody. Verse 15. John testified concerning him. He, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, and he's about to drop a flow on you. He says, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That was tight, wasn't it? 
out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace, already given. For the law was given through Moses, I, I went too quick, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, there it is again. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who, his, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I love that verse. I love that verse. John says that no one has ever seen God, but then again, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen God because Jesus is God and has made him known to you. Can God get an amen? amen. I don't need one but we should say amen to God's word. You know, it's so exciting that we have an example of how God would function relationally on our planet. How would he connect with people? How would he relate to people? How would he interact with people? What kind of people would he interact with? I mean, these are incredible questions, and yet we have answers in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, who was the full expression of God. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. And so I want to just read three more verses. I realize you're still standing. I didn't forget. I want to read you three more verses, and then we're going to pray and get started this morning. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to believe in him. Many began to trust in Jesus. But check this out. Jesus didn't trust them. He didn't trust them because he knew about all people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's God, thank you for this morning. God, we are so grateful to be here. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move our hearts this morning. Uh, God, uh, as I'm running on a low tank of fuel, God, we need your spirit uh, always. God, we don't ask you to be with us. We want to be with you, God. We don't, we're not asking you to follow us around. We want to follow you, God. We want to be so in tune with you, Father. We want you to be the center of everything that we do in our life. Speak to us today. I pray that we would remove ourselves, that we would open our eyes and our ears so that we can see and hear what you want us to this morning. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus that in his name, chains could be broken, addictions can be broken, our families can be healed. God, we love you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Why don't you uh, give three people a high five, Tom? You need to always be connecting. Always be connecting. Awesome. I want to I want to preach to you today on the subject of how Jesus connected relationally full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. What does it mean to socially and relationally connect and function full of grace and full of truth? Have you ever noticed that the hardest people to be gracious with is your family? You ever notice that? It is a dominant human tendency, okay? It's a dominant 
human tendency, my friends, that the more we know about people, the harder it is to give them the benefit of the doubt. Isn't that true? Have you discovered this? Is, is this your tendency as well? Like, I got to admit, when it comes to being gracious and kind to perfect strangers, I'm batting nearly a thousand. I'm, I'm nearly perfect in that regard. I'm the kindest person if you're a perfect stranger. I really am. I mean, you could totally be mean and negative and ugly about life, but I'm like, oh, they're probably just having a bad day. Just having a bad day. God bless them. God be with them, right? But if it's a family member, they're manipulative and they have a bad attitude and their heart has been hardened by the things of this world. You know what I'm saying? Like, has this ever happened to you? Like, you have a close friend or someone in the church comes up to you and they're like, oh man, I just talked to your husband. Wow. I mean, that is the most amazing man I've ever met. I mean, besides Jesus, you, he's an amazing, amazing man. And you're like, excuse my, my husband? Uh, excuse me? Yeah, I, I mean, I just love your family, man. I love your family. Your family is such an amazing example for so many people. You talking about my family? You have no idea. You don't even know what it's like in my family. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just so easy to be dumb and gracious. Ah, he means well. God bless his little soul. He has such a good heart. But when it's your kids... When it's, be careful now, when it's your spouse, I know you can't relate, okay? Just so look forward, just look forward. All you husbands better be looking real confused right now, like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? When it's your family members, it's like, nah, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I know what they're doing. They're working it. They're working it. I, I see right through it. You know, I remember when I was in the uh, teens, actually pre-teens, Actually, that whole, you know, period of my life, um, you know, me and a couple of the guys in our ministry, we were like at the Newfields house every weekend to stay the night. And so there'd be like four or five kids, like every weekend, literally staying the night at Joe and Sandy Newfields house. And, and you know, Sandy was really creative in that, uh, you know, she figured that since we had extra hands around the house that, you know, more could get done around the house. So I should have told you, Sandy, I was going to share about you today. So, you know, I mean, I'm at another friend's house, so I'm, I'm, I'm all game, you know. But for Chris, it was like, do you really have to make my friends cut coupons for three hours, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, but it was just okay. It was all good. I mean, I, had a, I feel like I had a great heart about it. And, um, and, and so Sandy, you know, would tell my mom how I was such an awesome uh, help around their house and what a great kid I was and... and, and and Sandy completely fell for this act <laughs> that I would put on, but not my parents. Not my parents. No, they saw right through it because they know me. Why aren't you doing that at home, man? <laughs> but isn't that funny? Like, like, I love to give other people kids candy, but, but don't you dare give my kids candy. They don't deserve candy once a week, and that's it right? I mean, it's just so easy when you don't know the, 
the nitty-gritty and, and the behind the scenes and the dirty details and just to be like, oh, we sure love them. Aren't they great? Aren't they wonderful? But the closer, but the closest to us know who we really are. And, and, and when no one else is around, isn't that true? Like my tendency is that the more facts I know about you, typically the more frustrated I get with you. Like really? Really? I mean, it, they just keep coming. All the facts, all the details, and sometimes I just feel like there's this inability to be gracious and to be kind, and oh, they didn't mean it. No, they did mean it. They did mean it. I, I know them. I know all about them. Which is what makes Jesus so amazing, right? You see, when it comes to grace and truth, it says that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Now when I'm full of grace, it's usually when I'm not as full of truth, meaning I'm lacking certain details or facts about you. I mean, I'm really good at being full of grace when I'm low on truth, when I don't know you very well. And when I'm really needing to be truthful, I'm just better at being truthful with a little less grace. I'm clearly a human being given to extremes. Can you relate with me this morning? And it's funny because when it comes to grace and truth, people will actually kind of gravitate toward a particular kind of emphasis with their life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, more, of a, I'm more of a truth guy, you know? Like, I don't know why the truth guy always pulls up his pants. You know, like, I'm, the, I'm the truth guy, you know? They're always doing that. That's just, maybe that's just the MO of the truth guy. You know what I mean? I don't know what the grace guy does. Maybe the grace guy's just like, I'm the grace guy, you know? <laughs> But, but come on, you, you know what I mean. When it comes, uh, you know, when, it, when, when we all kind of do it, we're just like, I, I think we need a little bit of truth around here, you know? We need a little bit of truth around this place. I, I'm just kind of the hammer of the house. I, I, we say it with pride. I just say it as it is. I tell it like it is. I'm a, I, I, I'm a what do they say? I'm a straight shooter. That's me. I'll tell you, ask me, I'll tell you what's up, you know? <laughs> or, you know, I'm kind of given a little bit more to grace. I'm just kind of more of a grace person. Maybe we feel like we need to be a grace person to balance out the truth person, or maybe the, the truth person feels the need to be a truth person to balance out the grace person. And so we look at grace and truth and Jesus inaccurately. Our, our view of grace and truth in Jesus many times is inaccurate. We see it more as a 50-50 split. And, and we feel the need to start overplaying this idea, this concept called balance. Because we think that Jesus is balanced. And so the interpretation of that is that he's 50-50. He's half grace and he's half truth. He's half grace, half truth. As if Jesus' life and ministry is this effort of constantly trying to balance himself out. Doesn't that sound like such a great way to live? Sarcasm intended. I mean, he, he, he doesn't really know if he should just punch somebody or, or pet someone, you know what I'm saying? Like, truth, grace, you know? And, and that's how we kind of... In, 
you know, interpret Jesus. Well, he's, he's grace and he's truth. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, then we're going to need some, some grace and we're going to need some truth. And so right now I'm going to be the truth, but in a middle moment, I'll be back and I'll be grace. It's like good cop, bad cop. Like, which one are you today, dad? Trying to raise our kids in the balance of grace. Trying to, trying to live in a household of roommates with the balance of grace and truth. And if we're not careful, we have this picture of Jesus, like, 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 Jesus, what are you doing? I'm just trying to nail down this grace and truth. I'm trying to balance it out. No, Jesus was just himself. He was just himself. This is who he was. He was not 50% grace and, and 50% truth. No. I mean, he's 100% grace, and he's 100% truth. He's the fullness of both. By the way, all of human history, since the beginning of time, we were anticipating when 100% truth would finally collide with 100% grace, and it happened in Jesus. It happened in him. Finally, grace and truth, they met and they were 100% fully grace and fully truth. I mean, what does this tell us about Jesus? It, it, it tells us that he sees the truth about you fully, and yet he fully extends his grace to you. Wow. That's amazing. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're doing right now that nobody else knows about in your life, and he knows what you're going to do. He knows all the nitty-gritty and, and the more facts and the more truth and the more that he knows about you never changes his willingness to fully extend his grace to you in your life. Our human nature, on the other hand, is that the more truth I know about you, the more I moderately extend grace. But the thing about God is that he continues to extend his grace in Jesus Christ. It's extraordinary. And so there's a, you know, is there a way for you and I to live relationally, to live in community with one another, starting with our homes and our marriages and our kids and our parents and our roommates and our families and our neighborhoods and our church? Is there a way for us to be more and more like Jesus where we can live a life relationally full of grace and full of truth? And what you need to know is that at no time in Jesus' life and ministry were, was, was grace and truth ever opponents or ever balancing. They were married and woven together perfectly, grace and truth. Now, I want to say, say that in order for us to fully grasp and understand this unique fullness and relationship of both grace and truth, in order to understand it, we must come to the reality that there's an element of mystery here that is very real. It's similar to the Godhead, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are distinguishable yet indivisible. And when it comes to grace and, grace and truth, they are distinguishable within the life and ministry of Jesus, yet they cannot be separated. They cannot be divided. And so there's an element of mystery in all of this, but as you start reading John chapter 2, these, these three verses that we read just kind of jump off the page. 
there are unique verses in that we don't really talk about them very much, if you haven't noticed, but in John chapter 2, it basically says that Jesus was starting to gain a lot of popularity. He was trending on Twitter. His, his, his amount of followers on Instagram was increasing by the minute. People were like, whoa, we like this guy, Jesus. He, I mean, he performs miracles and signs and wonders. This guy is awesome. We love Jesus. And essentially, people were coming out of the woodwork, basically going, I'll be your manager. I'll work with you. And we'll go on the road. It'll be amazing. We'll be better together, me and you. It'll be awesome. It'll be great. And John tells us that Jesus didn't commit himself, that Jesus didn't trust them. It says that he didn't commit himself to any of the offers that were given to him. Why? Because he knew all about people. He knew that he couldn't trust, that he couldn't commit himself because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. In other words, Jesus knows the 100% truth about us. He knows how conniving, manipulating, seducing, selfish, peculiar we can be. And yet look what comes right after this verse. In fact, I really think that after John chapter 2, verse 25, before John chapter 3, verse 1, between these two verses, you could just put a, a for instance. For instance. For he knew what was in each person's heart. For instance, there was a man named Nicodemus. There was a man named Nicodemus. Jesus knew what was in each person's heart. And here's a good, good example. Nicodemus. Now, maybe you're wondering, who is Nicodemus? You see, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but he's not just any Pharisee. He's a member of a strict group of Pharisees called the Sanhedrin, meaning he knows the Torah better than he knows the back of his hand. I mean, Nicodemus is not the kind of guy that you want to run into when you're not on your A-game spiritually and you're not obeying the law. Nicodemus has punished people. Nicodemus is, is loading expectations and demands on people according to the law. This is Nicodemus. And apparently Nicodemus is also a coward because he wants to check out this guy who, who is claiming to be the Messiah, but he wants to do it so that none of his Sanhedrin buddies will see him doing it. And what I find so ironic is that Nicodemus wants to meet the light in the dark. So I, I don't really know how he and Jesus actually set up this appointment, but I do have maybe a few ideas. I think Nicodemus probably feels pretty privileged. I think he rolls out of bed every morning with a smile on his face. I think he feels like he's quite the, he has quite the social status and, the, and that he's, he's well-respected. I mean, he's part of the Sanhedrin, for crying out loud. It's kind of a big deal. He probably imposes himself on Jesus and assumes that Jesus will meet with him and says, hey, look, I need to meet with you at a very inconvenient hour. There is no electricity. And so when the sun goes down, I would like to meet with you by candlelight so that nobody could see us. And right about that point, I go, not going to happen, Nick. Uh-uh. That's inconvenient for me. That's my bedtime. Bro. 
Oh, and by the way, you can't have it both ways, meaning you can't live in darkness and investigate the life, the light. I mean, what, you can't have it both ways. But Jesus says, all right, I'll have an appointment with you. I'll meet with you at a bizarre time of the day. I'll meet with you by candlelight and we'll talk. Let's get together, me and you. And I just want you to know that, that Jesus is not being worked here. You know, Nicodemus may think he's working Jesus, but you can't work Jesus, y'all. You can't work him. He knows. Hey, I just want to kind of hear your heart, Jesus. I kind of want to hear where you're at, you know. Uh, just kind of hear what your plans are for the future politically and, and socially and economically. And I would just love to get together and talk Torah. Are you cool with that? He thinks he's a smooth talker. Nailing down an appointment with Jesus. But the Bible says that Jesus knew what was in man. He knew what was in people. He knew what was in Nicodemus. He knew what Nicodemus was doing. He, he knew that there was some manipulation going on here, but he says, yeah, let's go ahead and meet. I see what you're doing, but let's get together. I'll accommodate your request. So their meeting is actually way more famous than, than you may realize. And even though you may not recognize this or recall this or remember this passage, there is a really famous verse in the Bible. And actually, it's... it's it's, a, it's when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, uh, in conversation with him, Jesus says what is now famously known as John 3.16. John 3.16. Nicodemus is manipulating. Nicodemus is, is a Pharisee. He's, he's trying to play both sides. Nicodemus is, is a coward. He's trying to be sneaky. Nicodemus is not an upstanding person. This is not okay. Socially, this is backwards. Relationally, this is strange. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus goes right along with it. And he proceeds to share the goodness of God with him. He says, you know, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, Nick, that he, that he gave his one and only son, that, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, Nicodemus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this, this is the conversation that Jesus is having with the conniving, manipulating Pharisee. I don't know about you, but this is not the conversation I would have with him. I would give him a piece of my mind. But it gets even more interesting. Look what it says in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, Nicodemus, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil, Nick. Hey, Nicodemus, he's talking about you. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Appointment in the dark, remember? He's talking about you, buddy. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I mean, this is Nicodemus, man. This is him. 
And, and the amazing thing about this passage is that people take this scripture and they use it to beat people up with it. See, you love your darkness and, and you love your bad ways and, and you won't live in the light because we live in the light because we do good. Wait, wait, you know what Jesus is talking about, right? You see what Jesus is doing here, don't you? He's going, Nicodemus, I know what you're doing, man. Hey, Nick, I know what you're doing. In case you're wondering who I'm talking about, that would be you, slugger. I, I know what's going on here. You're a man in darkness. That's you. Meaning, you don't understand the light. And you don't want to come to the light. I know what's going on here, but I still love you. I still met with you. Fully grace and fully truth. I see what you're doing, but I'm still spending time with you. He knows exactly what Nicodemus is doing and is fully aware of, of the truth of the situation, the facts of the situation, the reality of the situation, but he fully extends grace regardless. Isn't that awesome? I mean, wow. I mean, maybe this is normal for you relationally, but I have to admit that that's not my initial reaction. I would not be the kind of person that says, gosh, I just, I just, I look forward to meeting with a bunch of Nicodemuses. No, I, I'm not going to let you manipulate me and ask for some weird time to meet so you can play your little game, Nicodemus. I'm not going to accommodate you. I mean, Jesus knows exactly what is happening, happening here, and yet he fully extends his grace. And you know what? In John chapter 19, there's this guy named Joseph Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea, who was a wealthy man. And he asks for the body of Jesus after his death on the cross, and he takes the body to his tomb. And guess who helps him? He was accompanied by who? Nicodemus. Oh, don't forget, that was the man who was there earlier, had visited Jesus at night in the dark. I guess you could say that the meeting worked. 16 chapters later, following this interaction with Jesus, Nicodemus is there and he participates in the burial of Jesus Christ. Wow. Let me ask you something. What would it be like if you and I, relationally in our families, operated full of grace and truth? Not trying to play a balancing act, but committing ourselves fully to the truth and fully to grace. In the next chapter, John 4, there's another encounter that again demonstrates for us our Savior who is full of grace and truth. He goes out of his way because for some reason, John tells us that he must go through Samaria. Now, now you might already know that Jews never went to Samaria because in Samaria, there were these people called Samaritans, right? Samaritans. And Samaritans were a mixed ethnicity. They were like half Jews. Therefore, they were considered unclean. They were rejected. They, they were not true Jews. And so in classic Jesus style, he, he steps all over social expectancies and, and, and cultural trends and crosses all the wrong tracks on his way to the wrong side of the street. And so here's Jesus on his way to Samaria, and he's here to meet with the Samaritan, but not just any Samaritan. He goes to Samaritan, Samaria to meet with the Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. Jesus, could it get any worse? 
Yeah, it can. They're alone. <laughs> They're alone. And she really has a thing for guys. This is just awkward all around because what we're going to discover in a moment that, that this woman's really the, kind of the original desperate housewife. This, this is how... This is how the story goes. Jesus, full of grace and truth, asked this woman, hey, can you give me a drink? I'm a bit thirsty. Can you give me some water, please? She's like, you talking to me? And he's like, yeah, I'm talking to you. You're the only one over here. Well, you, you know, I'm a Samaritan woman, right? I'm not sure if you know this, buddy, but Jews are not supposed to interact with Samaritans. And Jesus, in, in verse 10, he says, and Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. How's that for a line? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? It's not about the buckets. Remember that? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Yeah, that's right, Jesus. I know the tradition. I know what's going on. I know the Torah. But Jesus answered in, in verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks this water, woman, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit verse, uh, we'll jump to verse 15 in a second, but, but how do you like them apples? I mean, he didn't say that. I added that part, but she says, you know, I'm getting kind of thirsty. I, I, I wouldn't mind that kind of water, actually. In verse 616, six, Jesus says, well, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's, gonna, it's getting kind of awkward with just me and you here alone, so, so why don't you go call your husband and then come back? My, my, uh, um, my uh, husband? Yeah, your, your husband. Right. Uh, well, you see, the thing is, um, I don't really have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, that's true. You're right. In fact, you've had five. And the sixth you're sleeping with right now isn't even your husband. How's that for some truth? In which she says, uh, I'm kind of getting the feeling that you're a prophet. <laughs> okay, now so far in our scene, there's this enormous amount of tension that has been built. We have established that our sweet little Samaritan lady has actually had a lot of dudes, five marriages to be exact, and now she has a live-in boyfriend. Like this is like a reality show gone wild because this is now about her and her issues. And, and notice the next verse in verse 20. Uh, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, if I'm Jesus, I smell it out right away. I know what she's doing, right? I know this trick, it's called religious, religious diversion. I've seen it before, you know. We're talking about one or two or three or four or five. We're talking about six dudes. Six dudes and, and your issues and your problems. Don't you start talking about mountains and, and worship and religious traditions, okay? I see what you're doing. 
I know you're trying to distract me so that you can change the subject and take the focus off yourself. I see your trickery here. Jesus, she is clearly trying to step around the issues. Call her on it. Lay it on her. Call her bluff because that's, that's what I do when I get the details and when I know the truth. I mean, you better bet I'll use it against you just to prove to you I know all about you. I know you. Yet Jesus, full of truth but full of grace, says, all right, you want to talk mountains and worship? Let's talk mountains and worship. Verse 21. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and a time has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You know, these are some of the most incredible scriptures on worship in the entire Bible. And it's an effort by a desperate housewife to get the attention off her sin. Like, isn't this great teaching by Jesus on worship, everybody? In which most of us would be like, no, this is poor leadership. You got duped and you got tricked, Jesus. This is not the time to talk about worship. This is about her six guy friends. And yet Jesus is in no hurry. He's fully ready to extend his grace in all of its fullness. The woman said, I know that, that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Obviously, this woman didn't really want to talk about worship because she kind of ends the conversation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah, whatever. The, the Messiah is coming and he'll explain everything. Yeah. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you right now, I am he. I am he. Wow, that, I mean, that's just not how I would have directed that conversation if I had known everything about this woman. But there's Jesus fully extending his grace to this woman and it becomes pretty clear that his approach was effective because not only did this woman change her life but a bunch of her friends lives were transformed by Jesus as he connects socially and relationally full of grace and full of truth isn't that beautiful come on everybody isn't that beautiful isn't that amazing could we discover that in our relationships you know before Full truth encountered full grace. There was only one reality, and that was the facts. That was the facts, the, the details. Some would say it like this. It is what it is. It is what it is. But I'm here to tell you that since Jesus came, full of truth, married, that, that full truth married full grace, there's no longer just what it is. It's what it can be. It's what it can be. Don't you see Jesus socially and relationally speaking not to not only what it is, but what it can be? What, what, are, what are you but now? What can you be? Who are you now but who can you become? 
This is the kind of person I want to be. What about you? You know, there's a, this guy, his name is Saul. And to make a long story short, as we come to a close, this guy was a gangster. He was straight up thug. He's, he's part of a strict group of religious leaders, and he stones people that are in theological error. He's a thug. He's not a good guy. He killed one of our amazing leaders named Stephen. He gave approval while his teachers stoned Stephen to death. And God says, I like Saul. I like him. I like him. He encounters Saul and he calls Saul. Why? Full of grace. Full of truth. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He saw past Saul and he saw Paul. He, he recognized where Paul was, but, but then he recognized where he could be. And Paul would later write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. You better bet, baby, it changed me from the inside out. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Don't you see both grace and truth married here? Don't you see it? Uh, he, right before that, he said, I don't even deserve to be a called an apostle, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I know who, what I deserve. I know the truth. But because of the grace of God, I am what I am. What Paul is essentially saying is that the truth about me is by grace. The truth about who I am, uh, righteous and, and called and appointed to write three, two-thirds of the New Testament, I am who I am now by the grace of God. The truth of me now is fully by the grace of God at work within me. You know, everybody needs a what-it-can-be friend in their life. And that's not a denial of what it is, Okay. We're not denying the truth. In fact, I feel like if somebody is not being trained by the grace of God, I question whether they really understand the grace of God. It's grace that taught my heart to fear. It's great that changed my, grace that changed my life. We're not denying what it is, but it's transcendent truth and that we believe every soul is redeemable. We believe that every life is transformable. We believe that every life can go from glory to glory, strength to strength, grace to grace. I feel like some of us need our spouses to be a what it can be spouse. You know the dirt about your spouse. I know you do, and so many marriages we harp on the negatives. But are you believing in greater for that person? Are you believing, are you seeing past the current state into the future condition? I mean, what, what if we developed in our community, what, what if we lived in a whole community where marriage and parenting and kids and family and, and friends and roommates, we all developed a what it can be kind of relationship? Man, I just believe that God's going to do this in your life. I, I realize where you are right now. I'm not denying, okay? I'm not denying where you are and the fact that you need to repent of that sin in your life because it's a problem and you need to ask that person forgive us. But Jesus has already forgiven you and he loves you. And the rest of us, we're still in the process of forgiving one another. 
And that might be a part of the journey and the process for me, but where you are right now is not where you're going to end up. I'm going to make sure of it, that you're not going to stay where you are. I'm going to help you get to where you can be. And I believe in what it is, not what it is right now. I believe in what you can be. Fully aware of the truth, but fully extending grace. Isn't that beautiful? So would you close your eyes for a moment as we close? Close your eyes for me. Jesus knows if your eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Mike, I've gotten a bit critical of my wife. I've gotten a bit critical of my husband. I've gotten critical of my my children. I've gotten critical of my parents. And maybe in the name of truth, you've gotten a bit rigid and judgmental and heavy-handed. And so I just want to pray in Jesus' name, that the Spirit of God would give you power to live like Jesus lived. So you can be that person who lives full of truth, but full of grace. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for Jesus, the way that he lived his life. Not as two separate halves, but two complete fullnesses that were alive in him grace and truth, the fact that you know everything about us, God, that you know all the dirt in our life, you know the things that are seen and not seen, and yet you fully extend your arm, your grace to us. Father, I pray that if we are abusing that grace, I pray that today would be the day we stop, that that grace would change us from the inside out. That the fact that Jesus would want to know me and, and have a relationship with me, man, that just, that just blows me away. Thank you that he was full of grace and truth. Thank you that you, that God, even though you know who all of us are in this room, I pray that you would search our hearts. God, you know, like the psalmist says, you, you know the thoughts in my mind, the words before they come out of my mouth. You know everything about me, yet you still love me. Thank you, Father. I pray that as we take the bread and as we break the bread, which is Jesus' body breaking for us, God, I pray that we would recognize and remember him. And as we take the, the juice, the, what symbolizes his blood that he had shed for us on the cross, God, that, that we would remember Christ, that today would be the day that we proclaim his name till the day we die. We need you, Father. We thank you that Jesus was the full expression of who you are. And that by knowing him, that we know you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.